0: Well, as we conclude this series on questions that we've been doing over the last several weeks, today we're going to look at a question that the disciples of Jesus asked him about when he would be setting up his eternal kingdom. And it's recorded in Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, this way. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming? and the end of the age? And this is a question that all of us as followers of Jesus have asked in one way or another from every subsequent uh, generation from that time. So let's look at the answer that Jesus gave to them and see how we can apply it to our lives today. Matthew chapter 24, verse four. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray each other and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. (laughs) Well, I think if you're like me and the disciples, that was not really kind of the answer you wanted to hear, right? They were hoping that they would get an answer that it was coming soon and it would be in their lifetime because they had seen the miracles that Jesus had done and the momentum that was gaining, and yet they did know that there was opposition to the teaching of Jesus. But after all, they had given up so much to follow him. And so they were hoping that they would hear him say that he was going to inaugurate his eternal kingdom soon. But Jesus makes it clear that it was not going to happen as soon as they had hoped. In fact, his answer indicates that there's going to be a long passage of time and various changes and troubles are going to happen in the world prior to his return. And Jesus basically was saying that we don't want to hear this. He said it's gonna get worse before it gets better. But that is the truth. Jesus was warning us that it is going to get worse on Earth before it gets better. The good news is it is going to get better. But we need to make sure that we're expecting this and being ready for it. Now. As this has been taught on over the years and people have read this over the years, granted, these things, many of these things happened before the time that Jesus even spoke these words, things like earthquakes and natural disasters. Those had been occurring before the time of Jesus and they've occurred after the time of Jesus. So we know that those alone are not signs of the end times. In fact, Jesus indicated that. He said when you see these things, don't be too troubled Because the end is not yet, but he says it's the beginning of birth pains. Now, I don't know a whole lot personally about giving childbirth, but my wife does. And uh, I was with her when she gave birth to both of our children. And I I was happy to be there and assist in any way I could, but I felt pretty helpless. (laughs) But what I saw her go through was those birth pains early on. When she was having the the pain that comes, it was prior to the actual moment of birth, sometimes several hours, sometimes a few days, you know, because you get some of those pains. And so Jesus was saying, when it comes to these natural disasters, there is a connection, but it doesn't mean that it's coming right around the corner. But when you see them begin to increase in frequency and intensity, just like birth pains, now you know it's starting to get closer to that time. So there is a connection between natural disasters and the things we see going on in the world, even today with climate change and those type of things, and of course earthquakes and floods. uh, There is a connection, and if we see an uh, intensity in those and a more occurrence of them, a more frequency of occurrence, that's a clue. But he also says there's gonna be things like this, wars which certainly have gone on uh, for centuries and continue. There's gonna be persecution. There's gonna be betrayal and hatred. And again, there's going to be an increase in this though, and more of a frequency and intensity of it as it grows closer to the time of Christ's return. And he even mentions this, there's going to be an abandonment of faith in Christ. He's being very honest here. He's not painting a rosy picture. He said there'll be false prophets and teachers, and again, those have always existed, and they're existing now. They existed at the time when he was teaching, and uh, they're going to continue to exist. But he goes on and he says there's going to be an increase in wickedness, basically, that is going to result in humanity's loss of love for God and ultimately really for each other. The love is just going to start growing more cold. And again, these are things that we, when we look at what is happening in America and in the world, we definitely see more of an increase in people's love for God going away and having a love for other things rather than for God. And God's being put to the background uh, in their lives or just ignored altogether. But here's the other amazing thing that Jesus said in the midst of all that. There's going to be an increase in the sharing of the gospel around the world. All of these things add legitimacy to what Jesus prophesied here would happen because since the time he prophesied this over 2,000 years ago, in fact, we see these things. Now you might say, well Mark, it's easy to predict that you know, trouble is gonna continue on in the world because you just look at what's happened in the past, and well, surely then you, know, you can expect that's gonna happen in the future. But here's one thing that Jesus said, in the midst of all of this turning away from faith and turning away from God and all these troubles in the world, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is not only going to be uh, snuffed out, it's going to increase, it's not only going to continue to to spread, but it's going to increase until it goes around the entire world. And that in fact is actually what we have seen in these last 2,000 years, more than anything. Now there are other religions that are kind of on the rise in belief systems. But above all, Christianity with all of the attempts over the years, especially in the Roman Empire and under some of the Caesars, they wanted to totally destroy all the scriptures. There was, a, there was a, um, basically a conquest that went on of trying to find any written scriptures, and they wanted to burn them and wipe them out. They wanted the word of God eradicated, and we see this. Um, in, in still cultures today. And yet the gospel contends to flourish and go around the world. So it's going to continue throughout the whole world even during these difficult times. And here's the good news, Jesus said, even through all this difficulty, if we will continue to trust in him, believe in him, persevere through it all, we can be assured that we'll ultimately be saved. So when you think about the childbirth process, again, the the beginning of these things can be the sign that it's getting close, but then when it it, it comes along in more intensity and more frequency, that can be a sign we're getting closer to the time of his return and him setting up his kingdom. But also, like a childbirth, once the child is delivered, Jesus was looking beyond all the anguish because, by the way, now again, I've never given birth to a child, but I have had a kidney stone, so I've heard, <laughs> I've heard that's close, I don't know. I just know the kidney stone was really, really rough, <laughs> the particular one I had. But anyway, um, it's, it's extremely painful. And so what Jesus was also saying is before his return and setting up his kingdom, the entire world is going to go through a time that's gonna be extremely painful for them. But again, don't lose courage because on the other side of that pain, There is joy, just like giving birth to a child, this precious child is brought into the world. So Jesus was looking at his return and eternal kingdom. So he wants to encourage us. As I preach this today, I realize, and teach this, I realize it's a heavy topic, but I hope that in you hearing it, it will not discourage you, I hope that it will encourage you. And if you hear things in this that makes you kind of take a look at your life and say, wow, maybe I ought to look at things in a more serious way about my belief about God or about Christ, and that's good as long as it's drawing you to a faith in Christ because that's what God wants. He wants you to be in relationship with him. He loves you. So all of these signs that Jesus had given, when you think about it, are symptoms of a society that is on a downward spiral to its demise. So first of all, the universal persecution of people who are trying to live godly, righteous lives. And we do see that in America today and in many parts of the world. There's going to be a widespread following of false teachings and a general rejection of truth. Now more than ever, we hear people you know, uh, questioning truth and there's no such thing as absolute truth. It's all relative, it depends on your viewpoint. Well, your truth is different than my truth and my truth is different than your truth. I reject your truth and I accept my truth. And we see that in circles, not only in America, but around the world. And Jesus said this, which to me adds legitimacy to this prophecy, is he said that in the midst of all this and even though people will be coming to Christ and receiving him as savior and the gospel is gonna go forth, he says when it gets close to the time of my return and me setting up the kingdom, actually there's gonna be a time in the world where people are gonna walk away from faith in me. There's going to be a falling away of faith in God and in Christ, and as a result of that, there's going to be a rise in lawlessness. And we see that again in America and around the world because the more we reject God's morality and God's laws and we make our own morality up and go with whatever is popular, then anything at the moment that seems right for us, we're gonna be able to do, and that's gonna increase lawlessness. And we absolutely see that, again, especially in America, but around the world. And as a result of all these things, there will be a numbing of conscience, our conscience and our hearts due to the abandonment of God's righteous values and his morality because we're replacing it with our own. The apostles of Jesus under the inspiration of his Holy Spirit wrote about these signs to make us aware so that again, we can be on guard against allowing this in our own life and our own viewpoint, but also to help uh, warn and encourage those uh, that we know. In 2 Timothy chapter three, beginning in verse one, the apostle Paul writes this, and he has a lot to say this about this in other letters, but Paul wasn't the only apostle that wrote about the end times and some of the signs. Peter did, Jude did as well. We may look at a few of those verses a little later on. 2 Timothy 3, one says, but know this, in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, Boasters, proud, now as I read these things, remember these things have always existed but we're going to see an increase in intensity of these things and a frequency of it, more and more of it. Think about the things that you hear on the news and on social media. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers. I swear, I think Paul knew about social media when he wrote this, (laughs) without self-control, brutal. I mean, some of the things that I read in the news about crimes that are committed, even amongst people who once claimed to love each other within a family, the brutality that is happening, not only the murder, In family relationships or dating relationships, and I'm not talking about just physical abuse, but murdering the person that you get upset with. It's brutal, and we're seeing this more and more, a more frequency of it. Despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. We are so intent on pursuing the pleasures that we want and God can just take a back seat if he even exists, many think, because we're so after our pleasures. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. And that's a warning for every church because God is not interested in a social club and God is not interested in us playing church. He wants us to be his church, be his body, do his work, take him seriously, be filled with his spirit, make a difference in the world. He has saved us to contribute to the world around us and to make it a better place with his spirit working through us. Apostle Paul also writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses one and two, now the spirit expressly says that in latter times, Some will depart from the faith. Here it is again, this honesty of saying, even though the gospel is being preached, there's going to be people who even accept Christ or profess to know him, and then they're gonna walk away. And this will be a sign of the latter days. In latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. You see, as people's love for God begins to grow cold and we begin to adopt our own way of doing things and what the culture says is right, even though it is opposed to what God's word has said for generations and generations is wrong or things that he has said is right, we say are wrong. We begin to lose the ability for our conscience to perceive these things. Right becomes wrong and wrong becomes right. And people lose the capacity to recognize perversion from God's creation and from morality. And we're absolutely there now more than ever with intensity and frequency, not only in America but around the world. There are things around the world now for the sake of tolerance that are being accepted and promoted more than at any time in world history across cultures. Isaiah warned about this years ago, centuries ago, even before Christ came in Isaiah chapter five, verses 20 and 21, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. So as I mentioned, the United States absolutely right now is on a fast track of doing those things, but it's not just us. It's the other cultures in the world. The more that we're connected globally with the travel that we have and the internet and all the means of communication we have, the world leaders that are meeting not only at the United Nation, but when they have the G7s and the G9s and all these big meetings with the world leaders coming together, um, there's more of an opportunity for this worldly mindset of thinking uh, to influence cultures all over the world at the same time and a greater focus on our own pleasure and our own protection and comfort without regard to helping those who are in poverty or in need, that's a perversion of God's word because it is greed, it is materialism, and it's self-idolatry. But it doesn't stop there because over the world, there has been a constant devaluing of human life. Obviously it's happened for years through wars and just the sake of killing somebody because you wanna have power and have your way and so you'll kill to have what you want. Now some wars are justifiable because you're trying to protect innocent people that are being killed by somebody that devalues human life and they're wanting to take those lives and, and abuse people and abuse cultures. So there can be a righteous way of doing war when you're trying to protect people so that you can preserve life. I know it seems to be oxymoronic that you're taking a life to preserve. But the point is, that's one way that it begins, the devaluing of human life. But then also through homicides, as I mentioned, the rise that we see in murders, that are not just random, that there is a lot of random, but also in relationships, within families, people who should be loving each other, and they grow to hate enough that they end up killing. But it doesn't stop there. Of course, it's the ending of human life, preborn humans in the womb by abortion. And that goes on all over the world and it's promoted. And without realizing it, it's devaluing human life. And see, these, these things are so subtle, they, they creep in. And then we wonder why there's mass shootings at schools and at malls and even in churches. This devaluing of human life gets to a point where for some it just becomes another video game a real-life video game where they don't have to do it on the screen but they can actually go 3d and pull out their weapons and take people's lives and they don't think much of it until in the moment they're convicted and then often they take their own life it's a devaluing of human life and it's a lack of respect for human life over our personal desires all of these increases happen as it gets closer to the return of Christ. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 says this, let no one deceive you by any means. I know this is a heavy topic today to be speaking on and teaching on, but I do not want to deceive you I am sharing with you plainly what the Word of God teaches, and though it's hard to hear, it's something we must hear, and I'm speaking it in love, and I hope you receive it in love, but I hope that you will take it seriously. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. That word in the Greek text that was written, that's translated into English, is falling away as apostasia, and it means a removing, from a position that was once held. It means a departure, a falling away, a revolt, a rebellion. And what this is speaking about is in the professing church, those who once believed in God and believed in Christ, there will come a time near the end when Christ is getting ready to return and set up his kingdom, that there's actually going to be people who once held a faith in God and in Christ who are going to apostasia, they're going to fall away, they're going to walk away, they're going to begin to reject it. Now, this to me adds validity to the prophecy that Jesus gave that we can trust it and we can know it's true because who who is wanting to promote themselves and promote the good of things would say, this is what I've come to do, but right before I come back, there's gonna be a bunch of people that walk away. Who would do that? I'll tell you who, somebody who's speaking the truth. Somebody who knows the hearts of humanity and knows what people are going to do. But someone who loves them anyway and says, even though they're going to do this, I'm still going to do something for them. This falling away is now happening in America and again across the world. But here in America, statistics are showing a growing number of people leaving the church and the Christian faith as never before. I was doing some research on it and one of the articles I read was from the Pew Research Center. I think they need to change the name. I think that in itself would make me want to walk away. Who wants to, you know, I want to go to church and sit in my pew. (laughs) But anyway, but according to one of the studies, the number of Americans who do not identify with any religion continues to grow at a rapid pace. One in four Americans, that's 25%, and approximately a third of adults under 30 are religiously unaffiliated today, the highest percentages ever in Pew Research Center polling. They're referred to as the nuns, and it's not the N-U-N-S, not those kind of nuns, but the N-O-N-E-S, nun. None. In other words, when, they're, when they are polled, they, and they're asked the question, they're like, nope, we, we don't believe in God, nope, we're not affiliated with any church, nope, we don't want that. They're, they're none. that's what they list themselves as. And this segment is growing in our culture, along with atheists, those who are claiming now openly to be atheists and agnostics. So I don't know if you've heard of this. Um, It's been around for a while. I've been studying it a little bit and I've been watching some YouTube videos and things about it. Again, I just wanna be aware. Uh, But there's a growing movement coming out of the Christian church today called deconstructionism. I don't know if you've heard of it or not. But uh, you can do a little bit of research on it. And and actually, a a great website to go to in light of what we've been teaching on over these last few weeks about questioning God and the questions that we have is actually a website that's called gotquestions.org, gotquestions.org. And there's a lot of things that you can read about in there that kind of answer our questions and give some background and biblical background. But if you go to that website and you read about deconstructionism, this, I'm going to read, this came right off of their website at the gotquestions.org. Deconstructionism is basically a theory of textual criticism or interpretation of the Bible that denies there is a single correct meaning of interpretation of a passage or text. At the heart of the deconstructionist theory of interpretation are two primary ideas. First is the idea that no passage or text can possibly convey a single, reliable, consistent, and coherent message to everyone who reads or hears it. And the second is that the author who wrote the text is less responsible for the piece's content than are the impersonal forces of culture, such as language and the author's unconscious ideology. Therefore, the basic tenets of deconstructionism are contrary to the clear teaching of the Bible, that absolute truth does exist, and we can indeed know it. You see how that works? Once you begin to say there's no absolute truth, it's all relative, so it's just however I interpret and how I believe it, and then that becomes truth for me, and however you interpret it is your truth for you, you start undermining the whole thing. And then it could cause you to begin to question the validity of the whole thing. And I believe that we should ask questions about God. And I believe we should ask questions about the Bible. And in fact, those questions have been asked for centuries and there are reasonable responses to those. So I think it's good for us to ask those questions and to get answers. Where we run into trouble is when the questions are asked and we somehow just push it off and like say, well, you can't think about that. You don't have enough faith. You just need to believe harder. That is not a healthy response. That's why we are doing this series on questions and that's why we're telling you it's okay to ask questions. We want to be able to hear those questions and have a discussion about them. Because this deconstructionism is actually a backlash for years of people in the church who have been asked some of these questions and they've been rejected and pushed away as just you know not believing enough. Because the Bible will withhold scrutiny In fact, some of these things that the deconstructionists claim are actually something that a serious student of the scripture and theology would take into consideration, things like a big word, hermeneutics and all that. How is, what did the word mean in that culture and how is it applied in that culture, but then how can you take it in that context and then apply it into our context today accurately? So when I get up and teach, or when we as pastors get up and teach, It's not because we're just wanting to give our opinion. We've tried to put the study in and to do it to rightly understand it and to pray for God's wisdom, to rightly communicate it to you because that's the promise of Jesus that he would do through those who are seeking to follow him and teach his word if they're wanting to do it honestly, that his Holy Spirit would direct their thinking and guide us into truth. Jesus said he was truth and if all truth is relative then you're gonna look at Jesus and go, well how do we know you're true? And in fact, that was basically you know, what uh, Pilate asked Jesus, well, what is truth? Well, moving on, Paul writes this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses three and four. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine or sound teaching, in other words, but according to their own desires. Here it is again, it's all about us. It's all about me and what I want and my desires and the world be damned, it's all about me. Every one of these verses say that when we go off the path, it's because our focus, we just become so self-absorbed. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. The son of a prominent author and speaker admitted the following, and out of respect, I'm not mentioning this person's name, And I'm not mentioning the son's name or the dad's name because many of you would recognize the name. My heart goes out for this man as a dad and my heart goes out to this son as as a young man who's struggling. So I'm not gonna mention their names, but this is a quote that this person gave on a podcast talking about this, about being part of the deconstruction movement. And this wasn't a confession, he was just having a conversation. So the son of a prominent author and speaker admitted that moving towards a more liberal view of God's sovereignty was the beginning of the end of his faith. He explained, once you start adjusting your theology to match up to the reality you see in front of you, it's an infinite progression. So over the course of the next 30 years, my ability to believe in a supernatural narrative or a God who intervenes and does anything died a death of a thousand unanswered prayers. Now hold on, did you catch what he said? His Faith was weakened because he was looking at all the prayers that people had prayed, or maybe in his own life that he had prayed, and God did not answer that prayer the way that he thought that it should be answered. Or maybe he felt like God didn't answer at all. And therefore, in his mind, he's like, well, that's the reality. I've prayed to this supernatural God. This supernatural God didn't answer my prayer. So therefore, there must not be a supernatural God. He died that death a long time ago, a thousand unanswered prayers ago. So I no longer am going to waste my time putting my faith in a God that doesn't answer prayer. And here's what makes me sad. What was he focusing on? All of the prayers that weren't answered. Now let me ask you a question, and I am gonna ask you to raise your hands. How many of you worshiping with us today in this room have seen God answer a prayer that you've prayed? Come on, lift them up. Look around, people. You see what I'm saying? Thank you, you can put them down. We can focus on what God doesn't do and what we think he should do that he hasn't done, or we can choose to focus on what we've absolutely seen God do. And I'm standing before you as a testimony to the power of God that he has answered so many prayers in my life that I know he is real, I know he exists. Yes, there have been prayers that I prayed that he said no to or he said wait or I haven't gotten my way, but you know what? I have enough humility within me to say, God, I know your ways are higher than my ways. Forgive me, help me to trust you. Because it's humility that draws us to God. It's not our pride and our arrogance and our demands. He's God and you're not, newsflash. And neither am I. And you gotta get that straight. We're living in a culture that lifts everybody up as a God. And everybody's gotta do what I wanna do. And it doesn't work that way. God says humble yourself before me because I'm your creator and I love you and I want you to know this. And I've communicated throughout time, I've given you so many reasons to believe. So this man goes on, and I say this in respect. I say my heart goes out to him, I'm burdened for him and for his dad. He continued, I passed through every stage of heresy. It starts with sovereignty going, then Bible authority goes, then I'm a universalist, now I'm marrying gay people. Pretty soon, I don't actually believe Jesus actually rose from the dead in a bodily way. You see where this path takes you? Deconstruction is an approach that claims to disassemble beliefs or ideas while assuming their meanings are inherently subjective. And again, this trend that's happening in the church today is because we in the church have rejected a lot of those questions. We're not taking the time, we feel scared. Oh my gosh, somebody asked me a question I can't answer. Oh dear, what am I gonna do now? Well, I know, I'll just tell them, well you don't believe strong enough and you can't, you're not welcome here, you can't worship here, you go somewhere else. No, I wanna say if you've got questions, you come. And if you're struggling with sin in your life, you come but I'm asking you if you're struggling with sin and what the culture is telling you is okay, but God's word says is not, we're gonna tell you here what God's word says, but we're gonna love you. Some people can't handle that. And the reason I say that is we can tell them we love them and we wanna sit down and have a conversation and we wanna help them, but just simply because we say sin is sin, then they feel like they hate us and they don't love us and then they don't wanna come, and that's not true. Love confronts, but love desires to help, and that's the heart of Jesus. And this is what Jesus is teaching that the world needs to know before his return because he's giving us every opportunity. So, as Jesus continued to answer his disciples' question about when he would return to earth, we move on down a few more uh, passages or a few more verses to Matthew 24, verse 37 and 39. Now, listen to what Jesus says in his answer to their question when are you going to set up your eternal kingdom? He says this, as it was in the days of Noah, so will be in the coming of the Son of Man, for in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus could have picked a lot of periods in time to illustrate what it would be like. He didn't say like it was in the time of Abraham, like it was in the time of Moses, or like it was in the time of Jonah or Joshua. No, he said as it was in the days of Noah. Why is that? You know, Noah talks about in Genesis that it was a time when all of the world, again, was on a downward spiral, rejecting this God who created them there was only one family left that was still trusting in God and wanting to try to honor him and that was Noah and his family. And so when God saw this downward spiral of all humanity, he knew that he needed to pour his judgment out because if he didn't act, even the ungodly world surrounding Noah would would overwhelm them. So he wanted to do it to not only protect Noah, but he wanted to begin to do a new thing because he had been rejected century after century generation after generation by people up until that time. And so God has every right as our creator to say, you've rejected me for all these centuries, now I'm rejecting you, but I'm giving grace and favor to the one who still believes in me and trusts in me. And his judgment came. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be at the time of my return. God's grace is there for you today. But if the world keeps rejecting that grace and rejecting it and going their own way, God has every right as our creator to say enough is enough. I've provided a way of escape for you, you're rejecting it, now in my holiness and my righteousness and my justice as creator, I'm gonna claim what is mine. We need to decide now whose side we're on, whether we want to receive Christ and receive God's way or reject it. By the way, if you believe that Jesus tells the truth. If you think that Jesus was a good person, then that means he wasn't a liar. And Jesus affirmed the biblical account of Genesis and the flood around the earth. He affirmed it in this teaching. So you need to make a decision of who you're going to believe. Are you gonna believe what popular culture says about evolution and that there was no worldwide flood and trying to describe all the evidence that we see around the world that actually gives evidence of a worldwide flood but they try to reject it and explain it away in other ways. Now I know there's those who are gonna say, Mark is an idiot, he's uneducated, he doesn't know what he's talking about, that's fine. But I'm gonna speak the truth in love and I'm saying that Jesus affirmed the biblical account in Genesis of Noah and God's judgment and the flood. So you need to decide what you believe about Jesus. Here's the account, Genesis 6, 5. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You see, they had reached a point where God wasn't even in the equation anymore. Verse six, and the Lord was sorry he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man from whom whom I have created. Notice that, he has the right to do this. I created from the face of the earth. But Noah found grace, favor in other words, uh, kindness in the eyes of the Lord. If God hadn't stepped in to save them, they would have been wiped away because eventually that culture would have overwhelmed them. Here's the thing, when God is getting ready to pour out judgment, He also offers a way of deliverance because again, he is merciful, he is just, he's loving, and he does not want us to come under his judgment. He must carry it out because he's righteous and just and holy, but he is also loving and merciful and he wants us to come into that through the way that he provides. And we see this in Genesis chapter six, verse 18, but I will establish my covenant with you, this is talking to Noah, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Noah was spared because he believed God and he acted on that faith. He began to build this ark that God had told him to do, even though I'm sure at this time, in this day and age, it seems outlandish. Imagine back then, because at that time, no rain had even happened on the earth. There's a lot we could get into that we're not going to today, that if you study creation, scientists, uh, and you study what the scripture says and really try to piece it all together, it's very rich, it's very deep. But the point is, at that point, they had never seen this kind of judgment happen in the world. They had not even seen rain. And so when Noah begins to do this, it seemed unlikely to him, but he was just believing God and he was acting on it by faith. For some of you, it might not make sense that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again. In your mind, you can't really reconcile. What's that got to do? Believe it, trust in him. Faith is putting what you believe into action. It's not just believing it in your head and never doing anything about it. You have to put it into action. That's what faith is. And faith is what pleases God, faith in him. So Noah did it. They went into the ark. God shut the door, not Noah. As you read the scripture, God shut the door and then cataclysmic events began to happen around the world. The The geography changed. the The climate changed such that the atmosphere began to pour down torrents of rain and because of earthquakes and the cataclysmic things that was happening in the, the plates in, in the earth, the tectonic plates, they broke open and water that was underneath the crust of the earth came up and there was this worldwide flood. There is evidence around the world of seashells up on mountaintops and these kind of things. I don't want to go into all this now, but I'm saying there is evidence of a worldwide flood. It just depends on what lens you want to look it through. You can look at the evidence and say, oh no, there was no worldwide flood, and this happened because of billions and billions of years through evolution, and all these changes happened gradually, and you can try to explain it that way, or can you, look at, you can look at it through the lens of the Bible's true, it is a record, God revealed what he did because he created us, and he wanted us to understand it, and he's given us the evidence, but we just reject it, and so we can look at the evidence in a different way. Well, God has provided today for you and I a way of deliverance. And that person is through Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter four, verse 17, it says this. Jesus was handed a book of the prophet Isaiah when he was doing his earthly ministry. When he opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Right there it is. Then Jesus closed the book, gave it back to the attendants, sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on Jesus. And he began to say to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is the way now for deliverance. He is the one who is proclaiming the acceptable year, the acceptable time of the Lord. God's judgment was poured out on the earth at the time of uh, Noah, And Noah was spared because of a covenant that God made with Noah, a new agreement of what he wanted to do uh, so that Noah could trust him by faith and be spared from judgment. Today, we're spared not by a wooden ark that's built with wooden nails and covered with uh, waterproof tar. We are saved by a person who was hung to two pieces of wood on a cross with nails and he shed his precious blood, Jesus Christ. Jesus is our modern day ark, if you wanna look at it that way. We need to be in Jesus Christ. He's the one that gave our life for us. He's the one that's proclaiming the acceptable year of the Lord, the acceptable time. He gave his life for you and I, the holy and righteous one of God for the unholy and unrighteous people, all of us. And he says this is how much I love you and this is the new covenant that I'm giving with you. It's why Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took the cup and he took the bread and he said this is my body broken for you and this cup is a new covenant in my blood given for the forgiveness of sins. God is offering us a new way of deliverance before his judgment comes upon the whole earth this last time. This is what the Bible means when it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses one and two, as God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain, for he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor, and now is the day of salvation. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28 says this, and it is appointed for men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. God wants you and I to eagerly wait for the return of Christ, to watch for it. That's why Christ said, here's some signs that you can be watching for so you can be ready, know the time's drawing near. Jesus said no one knows the exact time or the hour of the day, but you can look at the signs and that could be a bit of a warning to you to get ready. And to also tell those that you care and love about, about this awesome gift that God has given us, this acceptance through Christ as our savior. And as it was in the days of Noah, there's gonna be people that reject that and they're gonna keep on with their lives, but that's not gonna stop judgment from happening. But for those of us who are paying attention, we need to believe and receive. The first time Christ came as the suffering servant to give his life for you and I on the cross. The second time he comes, he's coming as a victorious king to reign for all eternity. There's a parallel between Noah's day and today. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 9. I said Peter also wrote about this in time. Listen to what he says. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following, here it is again, their own evil desires. They will say... Where is this coming He promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it was since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. Did you catch what he says? He wrote this centuries ago before the theory of evolution and all that stuff that was, has been presented in our lifetime and over the last 100 years or so has really been espoused and now embraced not only in America but around the world that says biblical flood is nonsense, God didn't create the earth, it happened through billions of years of evolution even though for all these times we've had the word of God that tells us how we got here and so much evidence that the Bible is true in its prophecies and what it says and yet mankind is willfully forgetting it, listen to it again, they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. It is a deliberate rejection of the word of God to embrace this idea that somehow the world formed through billions of years. And I understand are scientists that would heartily debate this. But there's many intelligent people, a lot smarter than I am with degrees and degrees upon degrees that believe in creation and they're actually looking at the evidence and they're called creation scientists. You won't hear much about them though because again, the world wants to prop up anything that would go against what God's word says. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, my dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So, what are we going to do with this? Some of you probably are hearing what I just read. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. Some of you have paid attention really well and you're listening well. Others of you are thinking, is this sermon going to be a thousand years long? I know I'm going just a little bit longer today, but this is a serious topic and I want to be thorough enough, but I am bringing it to a conclusion with these two verses. Because again, the apostle Peter writes about this in 1 Peter 4. What do we do with this question We've asked it, Jesus has answered it, he's left us to ponder it, but there needs to be a response. How are you gonna to respond to this question and to the answer that Jesus gave? In 1 Peter chapter 4, it says this, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their lives for evil human desires. See, there's the switch, there's a the repentance. I'm gonna start living, I'm gonna stop living selfishly for what I wanna do and what I think is right, and I'm going to repent, I'm going to turn from that, and Jesus, I'm turning to you, and I'm gonna ask you to you show me what I need to do with my life, because you created me and you know what's best for me. They do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They're surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. We see that today. People are like, are you kidding me? You actually believe in Jesus and that stuff? Come on, let's go have a good time. Forget that stuff. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. There's the seriousness of it. It's all fun and games until you're standing before the judge. Everybody that's ever gotten a traffic ticket or been arrested for something and had to stand in a court of law, oh, it's all fun and games until you're standing before it and you're ready to pay the fine or you're put in jail for breaking the law. But we have a holy and righteous God that we're accountable to. And one day everybody's gonna have to give an account But if you come to Christ now, if you repent, if you trust Christ as your Savior, humbly receive him, ask him for forgiveness, he promises that he loves you and he will save you and he will deliver you and you'll make it through. You will be saved. James 5, 7, and 8 says this, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. My prayer is that this message today will encourage you to establish your heart in Christ. He gave his very life for you. He loves you. He wants to be in relationship with you. And he did it to spare you from God's judgment. He took the punishment for your sin and my sin and all the consequences of that when he hung on the cross. And then he conquered that by three days later rising from the dead and saying whoever believes in me will also have eternal life. We can be spared from God's judgment because Christ bore it for us. But if you've not trusted Jesus, then you're basically still out there on your own. God wants you to come to him through Christ. Would you stand? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your teaching. Thank you for the questions that were asked of you. And Lord Jesus, I pray that today I've, I've done the right thing in this message by you and for you. I pray, Lord, that I've accurately brought it forth because I wanna honor you with my life. I know that I don't know it all, I don't, I don't know much. But the things that I have learned, Lord, I thank you that I've learned from your word and from your Holy Spirit and from study and from going through life experiences and talking to other believers in Christ. And I just know and I thank you, Lord, that you're alive. And your word is true, and that's why it still exists even with all the evil and the wickedness that's going on in the world. Your word continues to go forth. It's a witness, both against us, but also for us and for you if we're trusting Christ. So Jesus, I just pray you'll take the words that I've spoken today, use it as only you can in the minds and the hearts of all who have heard this today, and I pray that we will humble ourselves and seek your face and ask for forgiveness and trust you, Lord Jesus, as our Savior, that we don't have to fear in these end times, but we can have a confidence, trust in you. And so, Lord, if there's any listening to this message who hasn't yet trusted you, I pray right now, you just help them to pray and open their heart and life to you, the possibility of you and the truth of you, that they would experience your grace and forgiveness and you would make them born again and adopt them into your family. And for those of us who have done that, Lord, I pray that you'll help us establish our hearts now in you and in your word for all that you continue to do for us. And I ask this, Lord Jesus, by your blood and in your new covenant and by the power of your Holy Spirit in your name, amen.